Hello, everyone, and welcome to Banter on the Parkway. As you may be aware, Xavier played after we recorded the podcast this week. So in the intro here, we'll be talking a little bit about their 73-51 win over the Towson Tigers. Xavier's offense finally looked the part, scoring 1.11 points per possession and making a, frankly, astonishing 40.9% of their three-pointers, led by Bryce Moore, who hit three in a row at one stretch in the second half and finished the night three for six behind the arc. Other people knocking one down from deep were Najee Marshall, Paul Scruggs, Quentin Gooden, Dontarius James, and of course Leighton Schrand and Damir Bishop getting in on the action. The Musketeers were extremely effective on the offensive end, shooting 47.4%, 71.4% from the line, and grabbing 11 offensive rebounds, 34% of their own misses. They were equally as dominant on the defensive end, whereas they have been all year, they stifled the Towson Tigers. Towson averaged .77 points per possession as Xavier's defense took another step towards the elite, allowing Towson to shoot 30.5% from the field, 25% behind the arc. And while Xavier's defense may not have had much of an impact on it, Towson also only shot 61% from the line. The Tigers did grab 11 offensive rebounds, but in a case Again, of rebounding margin not mattering, that was only 24% of their misses. Xavier dominated the glass on both ends. The Musketeers will take the court again on Friday after you've listened to our podcast. Thanks again, and we'll be back with you come Monday. Hello and welcome to the third episode of Banter on the Parkway. I am Brian from BannersOnTheParkway.com coming at you always here on Friday. And joining me is our family's answer to Jason Statham. If Jason Statham was not cool at all, Brad, how are you doing? I'm really thrilled with the decisions we've made on the intro here. This is great so far. Uh, What part of that do you disagree with? That's what I okay, and now our other host, you know him, you love him. You probably have gotten a response from him on Twitter. That was just Travis Kelsey making an obscene gesture at a referee. It's Joel. How you doing this week, Joel? Oh, I've been trying not to channel my inner Travis too much. but uh... It's tough. It is hard in a world where everyone needs an obscene gesture made at them, uh, it seems, to not constantly be doing it. But we are all proud of you for the time you don't make obscene gestures at us, which admittedly is rarely. Okay, so I think are, um, credit for that. We are in an awkward spot to this week because we are recording this, obviously, on Wednesday night, November the 20th. Xavier plays tomorrow night. By the time it will this episode releases, that game will have been last night. So I'll recap it really quickly. What an amazing win over Towson Xavier just picked up. And uh, obviously, you know, the 360 dunks that Xavier scored on every time down were, were a highlight for me. So a perfect Still 20 didn't... for 20 from three because of the 360 <laughs> dunks. Uh, everything's better. So anyway, but wow. going way back. Take Florida to the, uh, to the last media timeout. So you're really tap dancing through a minefield with that intro. But I'm well, sure you know what? Go wrong. <laughs> I'm nothing if not confident. <laughs> That's true. And there are some days I'm pretty much nothing. So anyway, 
going further back though xavier did play missouri state since our last episode aired and uh that was an ugly win for xavier uh do you guys have any quick thoughts about that game um real quick takeaways i just want to say quint gooden six assists two turnovers two of them from deep and he had a couple threes that went like 90 percent of the way down so he's he was a couple bounces from being 50 percent from deep on a high volume and dishing the ball out well without turning it over, my boy is back. He's Did we back. get like two and a half points for those, or were those still zero points? Wow. Wow, you are uncool, hater. Jason. <laughs> Unbelievable. I, I mean, it's like I think you're that... trying to write your intro for the next episode right now. <laughs> right. Did you well, still count for zero points? I think you know the answer to that. You just think you're cool, but you're well, not. <laughs> This is great content, guys. And that goes to, so we were almost 7 of 23 from deep. Instead, we were 5 of 23. And that is, as we've mentioned in every article and also the dispatches that we recorded, that's not very good. And we need to improve on that in some way. Currently, our team's leading three-point shooter is Bryce Moore. Nothing against Bryce. Not a bad shooter. He's shooting 33%. If that leads the team for the year, I'm pretty comfortable saying that's going to be bad. Yeah, um, I think the big talking point from that game and the one that I think the national media picked up on the most uh, was the technical Missouri State picked up right there at the end. Um, it was a back and forth game. It was a tie game and they they came down with a chance to take the lead and got a corner three. Uh, there was contact in the corner. The referee called a flop and Xavier got the ball and a free throw, which Najee Marshall hit. Xavier scored on the ensuing possession and ended up winning the game by those three points. So, um, Joel, what were your thoughts on the flopping call? Was it a good call? And um, what did the referee see there? Well, the referee saw the shooter go to ground. I think it was Keandre Cook in the corner, challenged by Paul Scruggs. Um, That's where the referee and I stopped agreeing on what happened. I'm as much of a homer as the next guy, but you've seen no calls given there, and you've certainly seen guys – going to the line to shoot three free throws after what happened in the corner because Scruggs got his shooting hand high and went through his uh, through his offhand low. So I thought the best possible case scenario for Xavier there was a no call, and instead we got a free point. So I, I didn't see ball. a flop at all on that one. I mean, I, he – there was a foul. It was definitely a foul on on Scruggs. Uh, I don't know that you can know the rules of basketball and watch that play and say Scruggs did not foul him. And I love Scruggs, and he was playing hard defense, but he he, he hit the guy on the arm while he was shooting. Um, Cook did kind of go to the ground like a, like a marionette with all the, the strings cut, but uh, – Man, that is a tough call for him. And uh, honestly, I would have felt bad for him had I had any feelings whatsoever. But uh, by that point, Xavier had so thoroughly trampled on my feelings that I was like, cool, we win. Uh, I didn't really think about, about it, but it was a very rough break for Missouri State, I must say. I think this, this is an offshoot of something that's going to be an issue all year because – there are guys who land badly when they shoot. There are guys whose legs kick out or legs spread as part of their natural shooting motion. There are guys who embellish that a little bit 
against Georgetown Trayvon Blewett. There's a guy who embellish it a lot, like not Keandre Cook. And basically you're asking the ref to get his physics degree out, understand where the guy's center balance was. And if he was just watching his shot and didn't care how he landed, if he got clipped a little bit, if this is just the way he shoots, or if you buy a call. And when it starts giving away points, giving away possession, it definitely swung the game for Xavier. I mean, you're not – you're asking a group of guys to get something like block charge right to try to interpret something like that. And, you know, I've had my share of feedbacks for the ref, but I, I just don't think it's fair to ask them to be able to make that call in real time. No, no. I, I think, you know, did he embellish the contact? He might have. Uh, was there contact? Yes, there was. Um and so, yeah, again, you're you're getting into deep, deep judgment calls that, I mean, referees have proven they're not good at, like, black and white clear-cut calls. Um, and so I don't know whose idea it was to count on them more, but I think it's bound to end up with things like this where a game gets changed because of a, a judgment call that a referee got wrong and – you know, you wonder when it'll happen. I mean, obviously last year in the final four, Virginia versus Auburn, that was a very similar situation when Kyle Guy got the call, went to the line to shoot free, three free throws. Oh, this year, would he have gotten called for a flop there? You know, would it have been free throw for Auburn and they get the ball? Um, you know, who knows? So I, I think it's probably going to create more issues than it solves um, introducing that rule but I understand wanting to get flopping out of the game. I'd have been fine with a no call there. <laughs> but I've been thrilled anyway, with a no call there. <laughs> I would have been ecstatic with a no call there. Um, Brad, do you, do you see um, that if this Xavier team can survive as a defensive force? I mean, the shooting again was not good. Um, and they really struggled to score the ball, especially in the second half. Um, can this team keep picking up wins while they figure it out on the offensive end, or sooner or later are they going to run into somebody who takes advantage of that? I think that they can continue to beat teams the likes of Jacksonville, Siena, Missouri State, playing defense and offense like they currently are. Uh, can they beat UC playing defense like this and – you know, trying to shoot 21% behind the arc. I don't know about that. Yeah, I had an article on the site today taking a look back at Xavier's defense over the Ken Palm era, and this is so far uh, one of the best. And if you use Bart Torvik's page to have a look at how we played defense just the last 11 games of last year, you can argue that the team that Travis Steele has put on the court for the last 15, maybe even 16 games is an elite defensive team and not elite like in the sense they're in the top 50, but elite in the sense they could be top 10, finish top five. I mean, they're very good. Right now they're 29th with an 88.6 efficiency. That's a little bit skewed by the fact that there's a lot of teams out there playing cupcakes. Um, but we've also beaten Missouri, who's a very good team, and that was probably our best defensive performance of the year. Missouri's offense isn't great. But you hold anybody to seven-tenths of a point per possession, and you're going to win games. Uh, can we survive like that? We might be able to. We don't block shots, but other than that, teams don't get second chances against us. We turn teams over on a quarter of their possessions, and 
team's effective field goal percentage against us right now is 44. I mean, those are all really good numbers. And teams shoot almost <clears throat> as bad against us from behind the arc as we just shoot behind the arc. So normally you look at the 25.6 teams are shooting against us from deep and think, wow, that's horrendous. But then you look right across and there's a big deep red on Ken Palm of our 20.9%. But we're playing great defense now, not just kind of good defense, not like this defense can win a few games, but I mean, defense like very, very good. I know you guys remember growing up, those Skip Prosser Express teams were turning teams over more than any Xavier team has since then. And overall, our defense is better even over the last 15 games since those teams were. That's good. And it's going to win some games. Is it going to win enough? I don't know. You eventually have to score. That's good analysis right there. Yeah, That's thank right. you. I don't, I'm not seeing us just, you know, getting a free throw and then parking the bus. Uh, yeah. Shout out to all of our Spurs fans I know are listening who just hired <laughs> Jose Mourinho. You don't think we're going to take mill draws all the way to the championship? <laughs> I don't see it. You know, I'm just not going to get enough points that way. On a rainy Wednesday night in Sintasa. That's what we're going to find out. Um, yeah, so we uh, opened it up because the last game was so long ago and because we want some interaction with you, our listening audience, to uh, questions from some of our Twitter followers. Um, and so we're going to we're gonna address a few of those, and I, I think that should give us some good uh, discussion as far as where Xavier's going. So the first one um, kind of comes away, comes from a tweet from T, um, at TC Gomart, a uh, guy named Tony. Is Kiki Tandy going to help us out of our offensive slump when he gets on the floor? So um, are you guys worried about Kiki Tandy? Um, what are your thoughts on him? We've not seen him since the Spain trip. Obviously, he's dealing with a foot issue right now. So, um, Joel, why don't you go ahead and what? where are you going with Kiki Tandy here? I see a healthy Kiki Tandy as being reminiscent of a healthy Mark Lyons. When he came on uh, as a freshman, he had taken a, a redshirt year because he really wanted to focus on his academics. But when he showed up, he was an explosive athlete. He was a good but not great shooter and he he was itching for the fight and he could finish around the rim kiki tandy has all of those he he's probably a better shooter at this point in time than early mark lyons was um mark lyons when he was healthy his freshman year was averaging about 10 points a game he picked up some lower body injuries that kind of slowed him down later on that season uh bart torvik projects the season projects everybody's stats saw kiki for about eight points a game as a freshman so i think that's in line with what to expect there's a lot like early on when we hit like one of our first 83s there was a lot of push that you know kiki's going to show up and save us and that probably most people tweeting at us at that didn't 100 percent believe it but it's the reaction to how bad we were on offense so I don't think he's going to show up and turn us into a top 20 offensive team overnight. But when, when he's healthy, and I hope Travis Steele is just slow playing this to get him to 100% rather than holding him back uh, like Edmund Sumner his first freshman year before he ended up taking a red shirt. But if we get Kiki back, 
at 100%, he he is a game-changing offensive talent. He's not – I mean, we're not going to be Wooden's UCLA teams overnight, but he is an instant force that, that teams are going to have to respect at all three levels on offense. And you kind of answer our boy Kurt Percy on Twitter there who asked the same question, are fans pinning too much on Kiki Tandy? I am worried about his health. Um, and, you know, here comes some more great analysis. You need your feet to play basketball. And he can't get healthy enough to run in practice right now. You know, they're talking about hoping to have him back during the Charleston week, and maybe him be able to play basketball. After that, uh, I, my concern is that Steele's not slow playing it, but this is just where we are, and we're not looking at having a fully healthy Kiki Tandy till somewhere around the turn of the year. But, you know, when we get him, it, eight points doesn't sound like a lot. It sounds like more than my career high, but it doesn't sound like a lot when you put it on a college team. But that turns some of the, that turns the Missouri State game from, ooh, we just scraped through with the win thanks to the help of the stripes into, wow, we didn't shoot that well, but, you know, we still picked up a double digit win and we can get this sorted out. Uh, you know, it turns that Missouri game into not an overtime game. Eight points papers over a lot of cracks, especially if he gets that shooting even, I don't know, an unworldly 34% behind the arc. Whoa, he get out. <laughs> <laughs> what was Larry Bird's career mark at Indiana State? Because we're talking records here. <laughs> I think one thing that I, I see a lot of um, – press on Tandy and you know a lot of people tweet and talk and things like that we're still waiting for Daniel Ramsey to make his debut as well and everything we hear about Ramsey um from from the coaching staff is how versatile he is on offense how he can step out and shoot it and he's this six foot eight guy who is going to be able to stretch the floor um and I think as much hope as people are pinning on Tandy I don't see anyone talking about Ramsey coming in and being a game changer. And I'm not quite sure why that is uh, because I would think if, you know, this, at this point in the season, if Ramsey couldn't um, be someone who was useful, that, that they would have looked at a medical red shirt for him. Uh, I know he has a concussion issue and they're hoping to get him back for Charleston, but, I think he is going to be another guy who can step up and help just because if he can knock down jump shots, he plays right away, you know, and everything they say about him is that he can knock down jump shots. Now saying someone can knock down jump shots and him knocking them down is, is a big leap, but if he can, I mean, I think he can be a solution. So it's a little weird to me how much people are putting on Tandy. Um, I do think he's going to be a tremendous player, but I don't, I think people are sleeping on Daniel Ramsey a little bit, I guess is what I'm saying. Maybe it's because I'm an optimist, but I think he is. Go ahead. Here's my hot take on Daniel Ramsey. Our current leader in O-rating, if you don't qualify by minutes played, is Zach Fremantle. And when it gets down to brass tacks at game time, you know, the last couple of media timeouts, Coach Steele is going with, Tyreek Jones, Jason Carter, Najee Marshall, Paul Scruggs, and Quentin Gooden. We've seen a couple glimpses of Demir Bishop. We've seen some Bryce Morph situationally. If you 
I mean, if we're looking for a forward to solve our offensive problems, the dude's already there with a pulse in uniform and we're not leaning on him. So I, I wonder maybe Ramsey is so much more versatile or he's got such more range than Fremantle that situationally he's going to get a couple more looks, but they speak highly of Dontarius James's ability to hit jump shots in practice too. We're not seeing a lot of DJ out there stretching the floor. So maybe, maybe Ramsey's got something that, that I haven't seen, but I don't know where he's going to fit in when it comes down to winning time. Well, and that touches on another thing. After the first two games, we were like, whoa, this seems so deep and everything. We get to the last game and we were looking essentially at a seven-man rotation. Dot Bishop played nine minutes and if he hadn't turned the ball over, would have thrown up the old nine trillion. Um, it's clutch turnover. <laughs> and that's just, that's the basketball IQ that I've been talking about with Dob Bishop. Cause that guy knows a trillion when he's staring down the barrel of it and he makes a veteran play to avoid it. And we've all been a freshman who've logged that trillion. You just usually like to keep, you know, a one, <laughs> but you know, he's not contributed a great deal. I like him, like his game think it's going to, but he hasn't yet. Jason Carter, his O rating is 94.8. He's doing everything other than scoring the ball. He's 7 of 18 inside the arc. You know, that would be great. He'd lead the team if he was shooting that behind the arc, but he's only one of five back there. We're all I did hit sudden, the glass first. Yeah, yeah. We're all of a sudden not looking real deep. And, yeah, maybe Fremantle's the answer late. He fouls a lot but he's a freshman big and freshman bigs foul a lot maybe Ramsey comes in to help that but if it's not Tandy and it's not Ramsey maybe it's a combination of those two just being able to patch together some good minutes and I'm also wondering if maybe we've seen the end of Dontarius James as a significant presence if he ever was one yeah, I'm not sure we ever saw the start of Dontarius James. God bless his soul as a significant presence. I, I hate saying stuff like that about kids who are just trying to play basketball because, I mean, more power to him. He's better probably than not only anyone I ever played against, but anybody I've ever seen in person outside of a Xavier game. I mean, he's undoubtedly a great basketball player. He just can't get himself on the court here. Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting that they brought him back. Uh, for this year, but it doesn't seem like they have a lot more faith in him. Um, but who knows? You know, maybe uh, we've not seen the last of Don Terrius James. You know, people tried to put Larry Austin Jr. in an early grave. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think I would like to think that like the 19 glowing articles I wrote about him helped resurrect his Xavier career <laughs> before he transferred. But who knows? So maybe I need to pull my necromancy on Don Terry's James. Okay. Um, we got one a question from at XU Boston. Thank you, XU Boston. Um, probably you live in Boston. Your name's not Boston. So anyway, um, what is the floor in the ceiling for this team? So, Joel, what do the advanced stats tell us? Well, we talked, and by we, I mean I, a little <laughs> bit on uh, the dispatch about how bad Xavier is at three-point shooting and where teams can go from there. Uh, it's hard to say how deep a team can go in a tournament because it's about matchups. But if you look at seeding, 
uh, Marquette somehow pulled a three seed back in 2013 while shooting under 30% from behind the arc. And the way they did that was possessions. They got their extra possessions on the offensive end. They crushed the glass. They took good care of the ball. So when, when you're inefficient offensively, which they were, they were mediocre as a shooting team. Their effective field goal percentage was somewhere in the one teens, uh, nationally ranked. They didn't shoot over 100% as an effective field goal percentage. But they, they knew they were inefficient, hashtag analysis, and they harvested extra possessions off of that. Uh, Xavier is a much worse shooting team but they're getting their possessions on the defensive end right now. We absolutely suffocate the defensive glass. People cannot get their own misses. And like Brad said, we turn teams over like it's our job. Except, you know, they're not employees, they're student athletes. That's why they can't unionize. But anyway, it's going to come down to possessions. And if Xavier can't shoot, they've got to compile possessions. If they can be an elite possession team on one end or the other, then then they can reach the, the ceiling that we set out at the start of the year. I'd say that the best I see this team doing, just looking at what we have right now and a, a rosy projection of the stats, you know, a four seed's not out of the question. Something where they're going to, you know, they're maybe on the very edge of the protected seeds. I think a realistic ceiling is a, a, a five or a four right now. Something more kind of in the middle of the bell curve is going to be in that five to seven range. If you look at that Marquette team, which I did after you mentioned them in the dispatch, they played glacially slowly. They had two 55 possession games. Um, and one of those, they lost 49 to 47. I can't imagine having bought a ticket for that game and even feeling real good about myself. I, I think that what? Xavier. One other thing about the Marquette team, sorry to cut you off. Uh, you know, we talk about matchups in the tournament. They got matched up against freaking Syracuse, who was more than happy to zone them and watch them shoot like garbage. And in their Elite Eight game, they couldn't they couldn't get a bucket. Syracuse packed the paint, and they scored 39 points and lost. And I think that, you know, we all have nightmares of something like that happening to this Xavier team only, like in the first round against somebody. On the other hand, I'm going to step out of my usual spot and be the optimist here. I think that if matchups fall right, this still could be a Final Four team. I mean, we talked in our our first podcast that there are analysts who picked them to go to the Final Four this year. That obviously requires that somebody starts making shots. I don't think Najee Marshall is going to shoot 14% behind the arc. But being honest, I don't have any real reason to think he's going to shoot much better than 30%. Um, You know, his freshman year, he only took 43 attempts when he shot 34%. 32 of those came in conference games, you know, where he had a lot of other guys to work off of to get looks. I think Paul Scruggs is going to shoot the ball better. I think Quentin Gooden's going to shoot the ball about how he is, but probably a little bit better. You know, I think Tandy can shoot it. I think Dot Bishop can shoot it. I would like to see Jason Carter make one that didn't hit glass first. If those things happen, say this team shoots 30% behind the arc, um, which I recognize at this point is a <laughs> huge jump, and that is so bad. Aspiration. They shoot, 30, they shoot 
30% behind the arc. The way they play defense, they would scare anybody in the nation. I mean, we are just, I, again, can't emphasize how good this defense is right now. It, if they play at this level all year long, people are going to be raving about them like they did Virginia last year. Now, Virginia last year occasionally put the ball in the air and it went through the hoop, which I've heard is ideal. We don't get a lot of outcomes like that. But, again, 30% behind the arc, you keep shooting 53 54% inside the arc. I think the free throw shooting's already coming around. Um, I'm going to look at the matchups, obviously, like we all will at the start, but there's no reason to think this team cannot make a deep run, maybe a la that Marquette team just with stealing the possessions on the other end of the floor. Just to give you a point of reference, Virginia shot 39.5% from three last year. So I think if we get there, we're probably going to be pretty good. <laughs> yeah, fair. <laughs> you can get to almost 40%. I would like to see that. <laughs> that. With the way they play defense so far and the way that they have been able to um, manufacture possessions by turning the opponent over and holding them to one shot, I just don't see this team missing the NCAA tournament. I think that even if the three-point shooting does not come around to the 40% that that I'm projecting it will, um, <laughs> I think even if it, it – you know, is a pedestrian, like 38%, this team is still going to, uh, no, I mean, I think even if it doesn't come around to a good percentage, I think this team still has what it takes to get into the tournament. I, I think they would probably be a lower at large seed, probably like a nine or a 10 seed. Um, but that's the floor, you know, I think that is a very bleak view of how things are going to turn out this season. Cause like we've said, um, Paul Scruggs is not going to shoot 23% this season um, from three, you know, hopefully. I don't think Demir Bishop's going to shoot 11% from three this season. I don't even think that Quentin Gooden's only going to shoot 26% from three this season. I think he'll end up at a higher mark than that. So um, even if it doesn't come around, though, I just – I still think this team has what it takes to make the tournament at least and um, get an at-large bid. Moving on from projecting the rest of the season, let's maybe look toward this weekend. What do you guys want to see in the Charleston Classic? Three wins, cut down the nets, obviously. Do we cut down the uh, nets in these kind of tournaments? I think yeah, so. We do. I don't Coming know. Are, would that just be like vandalism? I don't know. If, if the team doesn't, I'm showing up and doing it. <laughs> oh, boy. Let's I just some tickets. Like it just seems know, like they, criminal mischief or something. Like, hey, those guys are tear, cutting our nets down. They tear down the 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 posts after big football wins. Let's not, okay. Not I'm gonna amend three wins. Take their baskets with us on the flight back home. I don't. Probably not going to be carry on. We're probably going to have to check those. But just wheel <laughs> them out of the gym. Be like, hey, your nets are intact. Don't even worry about it. Other than that, though, I want to see something that convinces me of this team's identity. Four games, three of which we played to finance a a different team's 
athletic budget is not enough to to convince me that we're the new press for get three games in four days and if we're still mauling people on defense and one of those teams is is florida you know then i can be talked into this is who we are now if we come out of here and we didn't force any turnovers and it just looked like a slog i'll be concerned what i want is something that tells me either a the offense is coming around we're going to be fine get some rest joel it's okay or B, defense is our new identity, and we're actually good at it. Those four games weren't a fluke. The end of last season wasn't just us getting hot because we wanted to take Zach Hankins to a real tournament. Like, show us that this is the real deal. Run Towson off the floor with our incredible press, which, by the way, I've loved to watch, and move on and maul a couple high majors with it. Even if we don't win three games, if we show that our defense is who we are, and we are going to ride or die with that, and we can actually do that. I'll be happy coming out of the Charleston Classic, finding that out about the team. Yeah, I'd be good with that. Um, the team that I would love to see us play, you want to like a litmus test, is to end up playing Miami. The rest of the offenses in this field really aren't that great. And Florida, I think, is the tops other than Miami. And they're 55th. Miami has a good offense. They have Jim Laranega. I personally think he's a great coach. Um, and they can shoot the ball. And But the one thing they really do is take care of it. I say they can shoot the ball. They shoot 36% from behind the arc. But I look at that and right now. My brain is conditioned to think, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> they only turn the ball over on 12% of their possessions. Um, they just... They really value the ball. Non-steal turnover percentage is 5.3%. I mean, unless you force them into making an error, which you basically can't, they're not going to make one on their own. If we play them, and even if we don't beat them, um, but we stifle that offense, we turn that offense over a little bit, then yeah, I would join you in thinking, hey, this is a legitimate defense we're looking at right now. Of course, the thing I'd love to see is us, you know, hold Miami to 50 while dropping like 72 on them in the championship like we did that one year to Dayton and moving on with it. I think the frightening thing is, you know, what if Towson gets hot and we don't? And then, I mean, there's a potential here for a bad, bad loss to Towson. Buffalo or UConn's not a crippler, but they wouldn't be great. You know, if we go the wrong way off a of Towson, then, boy, you could find yourself in deep water early. Avoid that early bad loss. Play some great defense against a, a good offensive team. And I'd be happy coming out of Charleston. Yeah, I think the thing I want to see in Charleston is Leighton Schrand. Um, <laughs> no, is Xavier actually put someone away, um, whether it's Towson or, or whether it's – you know, um, UConn or Buffalo or whoever it is. Um, it's just, I mean, Jacksonville and Siena, they, they left it a little late to put those teams away. But even Jacksonville and Siena are not not the same level as Towson or UConn or Buffalo. Um, and in the two games against teams that feasibly have a chance at the tournament, um, you know, they've hung around. And Xavier got up big in both games and then 
could not find the offensive consistently to keep the margin where it was. Um, and so what I would like to see is Xavier get up by double digits in the first half and that just be that. Um, rather than get up by double digits in the first half and then go on like a six-minute scoring drought and end up having to pull the game out right at the end. Uh, and whether that's against, again, whether that's against Towson or whoever it's against, I just want to see them put somebody away uh, early on and, and keep them at, at bay. So um, Instead of relying <laughs> on our whole game. Right. So I guess we got a few last quick hitters here. Um, as far as questions, we did get a few on the um, um, on the Twitter sphere. So uh, the first one, and I think this is an incisive question, and I'm surprised it's not asked more. Um, is Ed Cooley a good coach? <laughs> oh my! Wow! Word. Wow! Somebody okay. really looking for some deep. I've not I've wow. never heard that before. Goodness! Oh, sake. I'll have to I look at the numbers thought about it let's crunch the numbers on that okay. yeah we'll have to, we'll have to look at this the young man who asked that one the number of times i tweeted out that question and the number of hate responses i've gotten from people who use the hashtag pcbb uh those two numbers tell me i'm just not going to dip into this right now right because i don't think they're listening and i do that just to antagonize them Right. <laughs> That's better saved for when we like beat Providence 48-42 on a night we go one for 19 behind the arc or something. Scalding. <laughs> That's not bad. <laughs> Winning games. Here we go again. <laughs> again. Um, yeah. So and what's interesting is most of the responses we get to that are not PC. So I don't know why they put PCBB. But <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm like, I think that's a crime, what you just suggested I do. (laughs) (laughs) I will take that under consideration. Thank you. Okay, maybe a little more seriously. Um, Do you guys prefer the gray jerseys or the white jerseys? Brad, go ahead. You like to to hate on things. So which ones do you hate? (laughs) I don't hate either of those, actually. What what I would answer, um, I think it was... Was it Keith who asked us? Yeah, Keith Walker asked us that question. Um, and shout out to him, man. He's been there since day one on Twitter. Um, I like the gray jerseys if we're playing as a home team in like a road tournament, like the Charleston Classic or something like this. I really, I love, I'm a guy, little more traditional. I like white Christmas lights and outside displays. You got to throw a ton of color on the tree, obviously. I like to see the traditional whites at home, especially if we could get that hype video they did to announce the recruiting classes this year with the classic running man uniforms. Um, Those, as the kids used to say, like six years ago when I was still even sort of plugged in, made me feel some type of way. Um, I don't even know if people say that anymore at all. I like both of them. The gray, the white jersey. You you put an X on the jersey, I'm probably going to like it. They not trotted one out that I hated. I even liked those like they weren't sky blue, but like the aqua blues they played in a couple years ago. No. I like the gray jerseys. I associate those with my formative years in the uh, Kevin Fry, Lloyd Price era Musketeers. Oh, yeah. Give Goodness me some of those, sakes. buddy. And I am. Um, we can wear them home. We can wear them away. They can wear them to come visit me at my house. They can wear them to my funeral. Give me those gray jerseys. I love them. 
Oh, that just reminded me of Kevin Fry running down the floor, in, like trying to either punch the air or keep his balance, or like when all of Xavier Nation was just too happy to move with any sort of concerted coordination, he was channeling that right there on the floor. That's now I like the gray jerseys with one caveat. They had a gray jersey. Uh, it was last year or maybe two years ago with white lettering, and I like my gray jerseys with blue lettering. Um, maybe that's just me, but when they, like you said, the, the classic gray, uh, Darnell Williams, you know, standing on the scores table with his arms out after, uh, Xavier beat UC again in 98. I mean, classic look. Um, and, and I love that one. Um, on the white jerseys, the ones they wore the last game with the smaller type on it and like the underscore, I wasn't a huge fan of that. It's the ones they wore in Spain. Uh, I don't know why. Um, it just didn't look Xavier to me, but that's just me. Um, it looks kind of like a practice jersey. Yeah, no, that's what I thought. So I liked the big arcing Xavier uh, on the front, but you can't go wrong with either as long as the gray jerseys have the blue lettering. The gray jerseys with the white lettering, I thought it it didn't really pop. Um, the last question here um, is from longtime listener, first-time tweeter, um, why does Brad hate Christmas music? Brad, do you hate Christmas music? I is don't hate coming Chris- from within. I- is this tweet coming from inside your house, Brad? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I haven't answered in five minutes, somebody come look for me. I do kind of hate Christmas music. I hate the stuff that's like I don't know anything about music, but it's not upbeat. Like I want to be happy around Christmas. And then you get some of these songs that sound like a funeral dirge, or you've got the last Christmas. That's on me. Heck yeah, That's Jimmy. Well, horrible. Are you it makes me want to drink hemlock, but it's peppy. Right. Like, I want some happy music. I'm trying to be happy around Christmas. I get home from work, and there's somebody, like, droning on about why their boyfriend has left them on Christmas Eve. I'm like, oh, this is great. And most of, like, anything that I'm ranting at this point, anything that's not, like, a classic, classic Christmas music is honestly just garbage. I mean – it's been a hundred years since there was a good new original Christmas song that came out. Um, let's stick with the classics. Let's play those and let's not play them until December. Right now it's Thanksgiving season, not Christmas. Ooh, I've I'm made on board zero with fans with part. this take. Okay, Here's my good. screaming hot take. You know who's very into Thanksgiving is Santa Claus. Cause that dude is obese and there's no way he's skipping a chance. To- <laughs> 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 So we're, we're going to close this out with don't play Christmas music and Santa's fat. <laughs> oh, man. Let's just have like a couple seconds of dead air so we can cut this all out and just end with the Jersey conversation. <laughs> Why? Listen, this is what people tune in to hear or possibly not. If we get less listenership on this episode, we'll know why. It's because I can't be an obese, but... <laughs> Like Santa's gonna come after me. What's he gonna do? Sue me? Listen, Santa, this is coming from a place of love, buddy. We're just worried about your LDLs. Right. Like you're not getting any younger, man. Like seriously. Cardio in. Looking after yourself sooner or later. You know? He needs to start ripping those elbow lockout tricep extension (laughs) curls. (laughs) (laughs) Hates legs. 
Anyway, I think that is everything we have for this week. Um, Xavier is going to be in action all weekend, three games in four days at the Charleston Classic. Um, really, no matter what happens, uh, they will play three games in four days, but hopefully uh, we'll be in that championship game on Sunday. And we will be back after the weekend sometime with dispatches and back with our regular episode next Friday. So we hope you enjoy it. Please keep the questions coming on Twitter, and um, go Xavier.